Welcome to the Cosmic Connection. This is your place to explore the beauty and order of the cosmos. And your connection to it all. My name is Amanda Poole Walsh, and I'm the founder of Astrology Hub. And I'm Rick Merlin Levine, your Cosmic Navigator. Now let's dive in. Let's do it. Hello, everybody. So I have been wanting to cover today's topic for over a month. And so I'm really grateful to be here with all of you. And of course, to be here with the great Rick Merlin Levine. So what happened was there was a post in our inner circle private membership community that brought up a great question that I know that many astrology students can relate to on their astrological learning journey. So I wanted to pose it to Rick here on the podcast for all of you to hear his response. You probably know that Rick's been around the block a few times. So I'm sure that this has come up for him, perhaps personally. I'm sure he's seen it with his students. And so here goes. This was the question that was posted. Hi, Astrology Hub community. I have been studying astrology for a few years now, and I feel like I have grasped the basics but I have always used the whole sign house system as it just seemed more straightforward. As time has gone on, I've realized that many of the teachers I love use other house systems. And while I know this has been discussed in this group before, I'm just feeling so overwhelmed with it all. I feel like so many of the tips and guidance that I've given friends and family have maybe been misleading. I feel like a bit of a fraud and I'm a bit lost on how to move forward. It feels like I have to start all over again. Would love some advice. So before we hear Rick's response to this, I want to thank this Inner Circle member for this vulnerable and honest share. I truly believe that when we share this way and kind of uncover some of the things that are inside of us, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, you know, all those kinds of things that are holding us back from giving our gifts, that it is beneficial to all. It's like we're able to shine a big, huge spotlight on something that so many people have experienced. And I'd love to clear this up so that people don't have to feel shy about sharing what they know at this moment in time, even if it's not the full picture, which I'd love to hear Rick's thoughts on all of this. So Rick, what do you think? Get over it. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I I don't quite mean it in that caustic way that that might have sounded. It's a really excellent question, and it is something that we astrologers confront if we're paying attention on a fairly regular basis. And I think it actually is a symptom of an absolutely vital truth that we need to accept as astrologers. And that is that the cosmos is not a single fabric, one size fits all. It is not a, um, it is not a comprehensible in any one system. Astrology is great. And, and, and I'd like to actually uh, take the, the question that was posed it sounds like it's a question about house systems, but it's not because that it's a question about what's, what's the right way to do something. What, there are so many points in astrology, and we can actually uh, talk about some of them as, as we unfold this topic, um, where there are contradictory uh, belief systems or mapping systems or techniques or tools. And, and it's very, very improbable that any astrologer would learn a system. And if they are in, have an open mind and hear other people talking about astrology, it's very improbable that at some time they won't be confronted by the fact that there's an entire school of astrology that basically thinks that what you're doing is crap. Mm. or wrong. Mm. And and I think that house cusp systems are are simply a um a good illustration of them 
and actually holds a lot of truth in the where we go with it and how we work with it. But look, astrology is so, um, I was going to use the word bifurcated. It seems to be my overused word of the month, year, decade. I don't know. Um, but, but if we want to look at a very basic division of how astrologers can look at the same thing, seeing very different uh, results, just look at the huge split in the astrology world between tropical and sidereal astrology. Most, most Western astrologers, and when I say Western, uh, I don't mean uh, living uh, on the Pacific Ocean in the United States. And I don't even mean Western Europe or Western culture. I, I mean English-speaking astrologers around the world, whether Western astrology practiced from New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. But most astrologers who practice what we call Western astrology use a mapping system that maps the planets based upon the seasons of Earth rather than the stars in the sky. And then there are the other astrologers, most of whom are in India, but the number of astrologers in India probably outnumber the, the astrologers on the entire rest of the planet. And they map the planets not to the seasons, but to the constellations. Remember, when we astrologers say that Saturn is in Pisces, we're saying Pisces as a reference point to the spring equinox. And because the Earth wobbles, called the precession of the equinox, that if you actually looked up in the sky at Saturn, it would not be in Pisces. It would be in this constellation of Aquarius. Now, I'm only bringing this up to point out that there are multiple ways of interpreting what's up there. And that when any one way becomes the only way, you're in trouble. And I think that is the biggest thing. That It's not about thinking that, well, let me, let me, I, was, I was going to say it's not about thinking that you're an imposter or that you're a fraud because you're using one technique and then you learn about another that seems to be more accurate. The real fraud, if there is any, is being an astrologer thinking that you have all the answers because astrology actually as a body of information shares a very dubious honor with those people who practice a fundamental fundamentalist religion or even those people who are practicing uh, uh, um, modern Western science or those people who practice modern Western medicine. And what is it that we astrologers share with those people? That is that we believe that when you do what it is that we do, you believe that you know more than you actually know. We know more than we might know if we didn't do astrology, but we don't have all the answers because the universe is very complex. The universe is actually very plastic, and I don't mean artificial. I mean moldable. I think it was Anais Nin uh, who wrote, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. We look at the outer world through the reality tunnel of our sense organs and our belief systems. So there are astrologers who use whole sign houses who say this is the only way to go. And there are astrologers who use a quadrant-based system like Placidus and say, nope, this is more accurate. But there are astrologers who use Koch Marinus, and that's Koch or Koch, uh, named for Walter Koch, the uh, mathematician astrologer who figured out that system. But there are um, I mean, some of the other house cusp systems, aside from from whole sign versus Placidus, are Regimentanus, Marinus, um, Koch or Koch, um, 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 uh, Campanus, Porphyry. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. 
And I remember being at an astrology conference, Jesus, maybe was maybe eight or 10 years ago. It was an ESAR conference um, outside of Phoenix. And there was a group of astrologers in the lobby. It was like social evening. Maybe people were sipping wine or whatever. And, and there was a very animated discussion on house cusps. And, um, and one of the astrologers was saying, well, look, if you're using this particular technique, you have to use Regiumontanus. That's the only house cusp system that would work with this system. And someone else says, well, I use that system all the time, but I use Marinus houses or, and someone else was saying, well, what about, and blah, 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 blah. And, and the, the arguments were getting more intense, like everyone saying that they had the only way that worked. And finally, I just got annoyed with the whole thing. And I said, look, you, you guys calm down. I said, if any house cusp system worked, there wouldn't be 30 of them in widespread use. And it got quiet for a moment. And then Noel Till, who was sitting in the group, and for some of you younger or newbie astrologers, you might know that Noel Till was a giant in the, um, well, he was a giant physically standing at six foot 10, um, but he was a giant in the world of astrology, introducing needs hierarchy and psychological um, languaging in astrology in the 70s, in, yeah, in, throughout the 70s and into the 80s. And Noel retired as a professional opera singer to pursue a full-time career as an astrologer. And six foot 10, Noel stands up. And in his booming voice, he looks directly at me and he goes, Rick, you are wrong. There are 35 house cusp systems in wide use, not 30. And he sat down. Oh, that's so good. Wow. So, okay, so you brought up a few things here. You've brought Which up... Which was my only intention was to set a stage. Exactly. That there is, there is no one way. And of course, we're going to... We'll talk about, so what's a poor boy to do if it's that... But we'll get there. Exactly. exactly. So basically, that's the, the biggest thing that I just wrote down from all those things that you just said, is that the idea that there's one way, there's an only way, is a trap. Because as you continue to learn astrology, you're going to realize there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different ways to practice. So the, the question also touched on, you know, she's given readings to friends and family, and she's, she's made certain assumptions based on what she saw from the whole sign system. And so now she's like looking at it from a different lens. She said, actually, it was because she was in Astrology Foundations Level 2 with you and that you used the Coke or coke kosh coke system and so then she started playing with charts with that and went oh whoa everything's different when i do this so can she feel still confident and good about the guidance that she gave people or does she need to go back and edit it and say well it could be this but it could be that how do you rectify that i tell all of my students my apprentices in, in my apprentice program get bored of hearing me say that if you have a teacher, and I encourage all of my students to have other teachers, and when you've had your fill of me, go out and study with someone else, because I have one perspective. And, and my only warning to an astrologer or an astrology student who is studying with someone is that if you're studying with someone who has all the answers, get the hell out of there as fast as you can, because they don't. And that can be frustrating when we're a new astrology student or even a practicing astrologer because of exactly what you just said and what the person who brought up this question said is, does that mean that what I said was, was wrong? Well, I would say that if one speaks in terms of absolutism, that no matter what system you use, you will say things that are wrong because the universe is not absolute. And I think that, that this really leads us to a place of needing to understand that when we're, do, when we're looking at a chart, rather than saying that, that your second house is Gemini 
and therefore Mercury ruled, and therefore we look to Mercury, and this means that you should do this and not do that. That is not an error of using a wrong house cusp system. It's an error of jumping to an absolute conclusion from a relative data structure that we as astrologers, uh, and this is not an excuse for sloppy astrology. It's just, yes, um, Monica just typed, it bothers me when an astrologer uses the word definitely. I used to make fun of my old astrology uh, cohort partner, Jeff Jower, because I'd say something, he'd go, absolutely. And I don't, and he was a Taurus. And I would, I would always say, you mean relatively? Because there are no absolutisms. If one says something about a chart, say it in a manner that is a question that allows the, your client or your person to go, yeah, well, that's kind of true, but, or mm, that doesn't resonate at all because you're never going to look at a chart and speak only truth because that's not the way it works. Now, when we're talking about whole sign houses versus quadrant houses, this is a basic bifurcation, my favorite word, word of the day, um, is a basic division. But in quadrant houses, there are at least 25 different quadrant house systems, which are all basically one way of looking at it versus whole sign houses. So there's a basic division right there. Once you decide, gee, Rick uses Coke houses, I'm going to try those. That's fine. But what about Placidus, Campanus, Regimentanus, Porphyry, blah, 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 blah. They're all trying to fit a complex, multi-dimensional, multi um, three dimensions at, at, um, at minimum um, structure onto a flat piece of paper. You know, our um, descendants who are astrologers are going to look at the astrology that we were practicing in the early 21st century with our sophisticated computers and harmonic analysis and all this magical stuff that adds to, you know, to what we look at as old or classical or traditional astrology. And our descendants are going to look at us and go, what a bunch of idiots. They actually thought that you could do astrology by flattening it onto a piece of paper. Didn't they even really understand that, that it's not a flat surface up there, that, that, there are, that there is not only things going around on a plane on a flat piece of paper? but they're also moving up and down and, you know, and that, that everything is moving and they, boy, it must've been really kind of like living in the, in the dark ages doing astrology, like they were doing back then, you know, in 2023. Um, and yet we think we're living at the edge of this technological series of technological breakthroughs and that the astrology we're doing is so amazing and sophisticated. Well, it turns out that, um, Johannes Kepler felt the same thing when he figured out a way to actually calculate mathematically the movement of the planets. This was huge because until Kepler came along, all, math, all, all planetary locations in horoscopes were all based upon observation that was sloppy. And that when he basically did his calculations and made the breakthrough of what became the three laws of planetary motions, three laws of planetary motion, he wrote, I have robbed the ancient sacred crypts of Egypt, and I have stolen information from them. I have touched mountains, and what they belch forth is powerful. I didn't get the exact words right. But he was like in humble awe of having made this amazing breakthrough. Point being that just because we know the location of a planet, doesn't mean that we have an exact answer. I, I mean, th this week, Saturn turns direct after being retrograde on November 4th, 2023, for someone who's listening to this at a different time. And astrologers all around are saying, wow, Saturn turns direct on the, 20, uh, on the 4th of November, and now things are going to break loose and we're going to begin moving forward again. Well, it's infantile thinking. Because Saturn was at zero degrees in 31 minutes for almost 10 days. And we take the mathematical 
halfway point of its perceived motion and we go, that's when it turns direct. It, for all practical purposes, it ain't moving. There's a thing in science called margin of error. And e, as astrologers, we often have a greater margin of error than we realize. And it is most obvious when we're talking about house cusps, because the difference between uh, porphyry and uh, pl placidus um, can mean the difference of three, four, five, eight, ten 10 degrees on a house cusp, which can mean the difference between Gemini ruling a house versus Cancer ruling a house. And therefore, it means that it's the difference between the moon being the house ruler if Cancer is on the house cusp or Mercury being the house ruler. And I know so many astrologers who um, help their clients by making exacting decisions based upon a transit over a house cusp, believing that the system that they use is accurate when the fact of the matter is that there are so many different accurate ways of doing it. And let me be clear, whole sign houses, although it's technically a house cusp system, it's really just a way of saying, no, we're not getting involved because we're just basing everything on signs. And I'm not making less of that system. It's just that, that when we look at houses, here's the thing. The ascendant is real. I don't care what house cusp system you use, whether you're using um, a quadrant system. I don't care whether you're using um, uh, equal houses or whole sign houses. Um, the ascendant is the ascendant. It doesn't change. It's the place where the ecliptic meets the horizon of the earth. And so that point is a real point. The midheaven, which is the maximum altitude that a planet gains as it's moving around on the ecliptic. It's the highest point in the sky that it reaches, which isn't directly overhead. I mean, look at high noon in the wintertime here in Seattle. The sun barely gets over the horizon. Um, but that highest point is the midheaven. That's a real point. Here's the thing. There ain't no such thing as a second house, third house, fifth house, sixth house, eighth house, ninth house, 11th house, or 12th house cusp up there. There's no such thing. We made that shit up. And we made it up for a good reason because it's part of our mapping system. It's just like, Amanda, there aren't 12 signs up there either. There's 12 signs in here. We made the system up. And this is why the harmonic aspects are so important. We'll save that conversation for for later. But again, it was Johannes Kepler, who was the first astrologer, who basically said, there's more here than 12 signs. We need to look at the mathematics of this. Fine. What does an astrologer do knowing that whatever system that they're using is not as accurate as they would like it to be and is not the only way to look at it? I think that then becomes the practice. But it's not about oh my God, I was an imposter. Oh my God, I'm a fraud because I'm using something incorrect. If we're doing any kind of astrology, we're basically altering the reality into some sort of system that we made up and we're aberrating it uh, or we're distorting it from, from true nature. The best astrologer in the world is the shaman who's never looked at a chart, who just basically you come in and the shaman knows exactly what's going on. Mm. Okay, Rick, can you give us some examples? Because one of the things you said is that if you speak in absolutes, so if you look at someone's chart and you say, this is this, and this means this, which means, you know, this is going to happen, or, you know, sort of absolute terms. Can you give us an example of one thing you could look at in a chart and say it absolutely, and then flip it to say it in a way that is not absolute so that it leaves room for uh, for the truth that there's a lot of different ways that this could be expressing. There's a lot of different ways that this could be experienced. And, and one of the things that's great about the chart reading extravaganza that we're going to be doing later this month is that the students will get to watch you do this a lot because yeah. they'll get to see how, how you look at a chart and how you responsibly interpret it. 
without getting yourself boxed into that position. So can you just give us a quick example of yeah, let me let me ask you a question. What's what what's an aspect in your in your chart in your natal chart that's a strong aspect for you? Uh, well, my sun in Capricorn at twenty nine degrees in the twelfth house, opposing my Mars in Leo. Sun opposing Mars. Yes. All right. So traditionally. A Mars opposition to the sun could, well, see, now I just automatically go into the could be rather than, than is. Please. But if you, if you pick up an old book on sun, you know, sun square Mars or sun opposed Mars, these would be considered to be adverse or afflicted aspects that were therefore a conflict between Mars, assertion, aggression, direction, anger, and the sun, who it is that you are, we might look at a sun opposed Mars and say, well, you know, you're going to fight a lot in relationships. Hmm. Now, that might be the definitive thing of saying sun opposed Mars and uh, relationships because it's opposition. And of course, we could, you know, you know, drill down further. But there's something here about the um the anger and the and the energy of needing to find one's place and stand up for it and therefore do conflict if necessary now that may or may not be you but i might suggest looking at your chart and again without looking at all the other pieces of it suggest oh you have the sun opposed mars well you know mars is the planet of ego separation and the need to create boundary and your son in Capricorn um, may orient you towards wanting to master things in the outer world. So I'm wondering, Amanda, how do you relate to establishing boundaries in the outer world? And are you willing to fight for those boundaries that you create perhaps in relationship? And has that worked for you or not? If that's true. Hmm. Your, your turn. I would say that I'm in an active learning around that, that there's definitely times where I don't assert the boundaries in my personal relationships. And then I end up feeling like, like some, some, somebody outside of myself is putting me in that position when really I'm putting myself in that position. Now, as, as a child, was there that strong martial, Martian energy, external that felt like it was infringing upon your Capricornian sun, your vitality that in some way um, impacts your chart, your, your life? Very strong father and three very strong brothers. Okay, stop. So now, do you see what I just did? Yes. Rather than telling you who you are based upon what I think I know about right. a Mars-opposed sun, I turned it into something that was actually a process of self-discovery for both, uh, well, self-discovery for you and mm -hmm. discovery for, for me, because I don't, one of the biggest dangers of astrology is thinking that when we look at a chart, we know someone, we don't, mm -hmm. we don't have a damn clue. You know, we know their chart, we, we know the map, but we don't know the territory because we haven't traveled the territory. You look at, you know, a, a, a transit of, of um, transiting Saturn coming around and conjoining a natal moon. If anyone here has a moon in, you know, in, in early Pisces, you know, they've been feeling Saturn on the moon. For one person, that might be the end of a whole domestic period, relationship, marriage, home, family, as Saturn comes in and puts weight on there and restricts. And it might be like the worst time in someone's life. For someone else, Saturn lining up with their moon might be a time when they get married and have the most stable relationship that ever occurred. It just depends on how you individually work with Saturn and how it's not only how it's aspected in your natal chart and what your Saturn is like and what your moon is like and, and so on, but it also depends upon something that most astrologers don't ever think about. And that is, all right, so what happens when Saturn in the sky 
makes a 90 degree angle or an opposition or a conjunction to your moon. You know, if you're over 30 years old, that's happened three or four times already, conjunction, square, or opposition. And so by exploring that, immediately you have clues as to what it, what some of the issues are. And then you can talk about what maybe some of the things are that are coming up. But to just isolate it out of the blue and just say, well, yeah, I've learned that when Saturn conjuncts the moon, we feel like we're constrained in some way by authority emotionally. And so therefore, it's a time when if you're in a bad relationship, it might end. And, you know, it may be a time when you really suffer and feel like, you know, things aren't working out and then something happens and then you're really vulnerable, almost like a snake out growing skin and you're left with, you know, baby skin. And so it's a difficult period of time. Well, that might be true for one person. And yet for another person, it might be the time of the most important disciplined learning and growth in their life that we have to be careful about thinking that we know more than we do. Whether it's a simple interpretation of a uh, planet in a sign. I mean, look, every astrologer has their biases. You know, you have the client who, you know, who comes to you and says, I've been arguing with my husband now for, for, um, for months. I feel like he's um, um, just emotionally unavailable. He seems so interactive with friends and everyone and blah, 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 blah. But I just can't make the connection with him. And I think it's over. And I'm thinking, well, gosh, the last three lousy relationships that I've had were all with women with, with Aquarius moons. And this woman has just told me that her husband has an Aquarius moon. I immediately go, well, look, there's obviously something wrong with your husband because he has an Aquarius moon. In other words, we bring our personal biases into a session without even realizing it based upon our personal perception of, oh, I'd never date a Scorpio. Oh my God, I'm never going out with another Gemini again. You know, whatever it is. But it's interesting because the personal biases that we have are not the same personal biases that the next person will have, which tells me something about house cusp systems. And that is just because a system works for you doesn't mean it works for the next guy. And I personally would never make a logic string based upon a house cusp uh, ruler or a transition by, by tr transit, progression, or direction of a planet over an intermediate house cusp. Intermediate houses are the houses that are not the ascendant, descendant, MC, and IC. Those are real points. You want to make a prediction or a discussion about, you know, Saturn or Mercury or some planet, you know, touching someone's ascendant, that's the real point. But don't talk to me about those things as they impact a transition from the, you know, third house, from the second house to the third house. Now, there may be a transition, but where that actual point is, is beyond our margin of error. And yes, if you have a rising sign that is, uh, if you have an ascendant that is in a latter degree of the sign, the huge difference between the house placements of your chart based upon whole sign houses versus a quadrant house system. The quadrant house systems are going to put your ascendant as your first house cusp, whereas a whole sign house system will put zero degrees of whatever sign it is that your ascendant is in on your first house cusp. So that all your planets and houses can all be off uh, a house or even in extreme latitudes can be off even two houses, which brings up the whole fallacy, or what I would say is the fallacy of intercepted signs. I grew up on Placidus and then Coke and using intercepted signs, but these days I don't pay them as much attention, although I know that astrologers who do use them make them work. This is not a judgment about using any particular system. It's only a judgment based upon how, um, how we can interpret any system as absolute when, in fact, it's relative. And, um, and so from that standpoint, we need to cut ourselves some slack. 
look, the universe is a mysterious, magical place. And, and if astrology was 100% mechanical, then it would have been embraced by everyone a long time ago. But it's not. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is even on my own journey with astrology, I believe or I have experienced that I get the next piece of information that I need when I'm ready for it. And so I even think when people are... I agree with that, but I've gotten pieces of information I'm still not ready for, and I hate knowing that it exists. Ah, well, I haven't experienced that yet, but I can understand. And maybe maybe it was exactly what you needed, needed to know for whatever reason. I'm not saying I always like it. I'm just saying uh, that there's times where information... It's, it's, so I think there's part of it, too, is this feeling that we need to be all-knowing and all... There is a magic, like you said, that is at play that isn't, we aren't controlling everything. So we can let some of it go. I think is, I think when, when you're approaching a chart and you are, you're, you're truly coming with a heart of service and wanting to help this person on their path, that some of those details, they, it may or may not be the most important element of what you're yeah. conveying to this person. Yeah, I think that that there is some wisdom to just standing outside at night with a client under the magic of the sky and not even sitting in front of a computer with all kinds of analytical charts and tables and whatever, because all of that separates ourselves, separates us from the magic of what the actual experience is. It's one of the reasons why in my um, in, in my retreat, astrology retreats and workshops, why I love doing work that is experientially based, because astrology largely puts us in our throat chakra and, and higher. And, um, you know, and there's a whole movement in modern astrology that comes from the reclamation of indigenous techniques and tools. Certainly, Brett Joseph, Gemini Brett is a champion in what we might call shamanistic astrology or, um, or the astrology of really being in the horoscope, not necessarily looking at it as if it was a map separate from ourselves. I love doing work with students that's astrodrama, where we're standing inside of our own chart and actually playing the roles of the planets that we normally play but don't even know we're playing. And so these are all ways of getting back to those uh, basic concepts of the reality of things. And the reality of things is not being lost in these incredible techniques um, because we can get so technic, what's the right word? Technophilic, is that the right word? Um, we can become so in love with, um, with technique that it's like a Virgo losing the forest for the trees or maybe even losing the forest for the veins on the leaves of the trees, um, that sometimes being able to uh, be part of the generalized picture is more important than the specificity of a binary yes or no, this is okay or not okay. And, you know, just for the record, and I think you've probably heard me say this before, when, when a client contacts me for work and says, I need to know whether I should do this or that, or I need to know whether to put an offer on this house. It looks good, but Mercury just went retrograde. Or, or I need to know whether this relationship is worth pursuing um, because I see that um, this, um, this guy's Saturn is square my you know, natal Venus, and that can't possibly work, can it? And I tell my, cl my potential clients in that situation, I think you've gotten in touch with the wrong astrologer. I think you somehow made a misdial or a bad connection. Because it sounds to me like you're looking for the answer astrologer, and instead you've reached the question astrologer. I, I have a lot of contemporaries who I respect their work incredibly uh, deeply, many of whom are here on Astrology Hub, um, who I've told my belief to, and they say, that's crazy. My, my clients come to me because I, they want answers to their questions. They're paying me for answers, and I'm using astrology to give them answers. And I know astrologers who can answer questions faster than you can ask them. I would never do that. I would never do that. And you're not clever enough to trick me into answering a question for you. 
And part of why I would never do that is I'm a really good answer giver, as you know. But the problem with that is that if you ask me a question and I give you an answer, you're not getting your answer. You're getting my answer. And my answer is good enough that you might take it because I can justify it with Venus square this and Mercury trying that and whatever. And you go, okay, that's the answer. Thank you. But it's not your answer. And what and the harm that it does is that when you get an external answer, you stop asking the question, which means it stops your search. And the search creates the reality. My job as an astrologer is not to stop your search. It's to it's to increase the meaning of the questions that you ask to basically empower your search. But the last thing I want to do is answer a question for you, because even if it turns out to be a decent answer, it's not your answer. And I think that's one of the greatest dangers of, of these kinds of forms of divination, whether it's astrology or tarot or numerology or I Ching, that these are not meant to be answers. They're meant to be uh, it reminds me of Carl Jung, who once quipped, bring me a healthy man and I'll cure him. We mm. think we have the answers, but when we know that we have the answers, that's danger, red alert, red alert, danger. Because when we know we have the answers, whether that answer, answer is Scientology, quantum physics, Jesus Christ, Donald Trump, I don't care who it is. If we think we have the answer, we're missing something. Mm. So, Rick, what would you have said? So you asked me, did I have strong external male figures in my life growing up? And I said, yes. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. What would you have said if I had said no? Actually, I was raised by, you know, a bunch of women. And, and, and like, what if your question hadn't confirmed what you were sort of thinking? Then how well, Two things. Number one, I tell every client that I work with on a deep level, my goal is not to be correct. It's to be useful. Hmm. I, you know, this whole thing of having ego in astrology, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not here so that I can look off to a room and go a hand for the astrologer. I nailed it again, didn't I? And there right. are astrologers who are very proud of the predictions that they've made and how they can tell a client what's going on and what will happen when and so on. My feeling is of what value is that other than the inflation of your own ego? I want to be useful. And if I'm saying something that makes no sense and you tell me, well, gee, that Mars doesn't, you know, it doesn't work like that, then I'm going to begin an exploration of you as, all right, so what is, what's going on is, is is there some element of of denial here that, of of what was actually going on, um, or does that Mars work in a way that is so empowering to you that you get to express that Mars and you don't even realize how it, you know um, what's the word I'm looking for how um, uh, um, assimilated um, that energy is into your being that just makes you a functional person in the outer world, or what are the aspects that that Mars is making aside from the opposition to the sun? Um, is it making, you know, some other smooth aspects? And again, here's where the harmonic aspects come in, because what if that Mars is part of a magical pattern of 11, 11 tiles, you know, the, the one eleventh, two elevenths, three elevenths. And in that case, that Mars may be actually feeding your desire to not play the social game and be a, uh, an outsider and be absolutely consistently happy and and okay with that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, we make judgments based upon what we think we know, but it's not about being right. It's about using the map to try to uncover the meaning. And oftentimes, in fact, the best readings are the ones that don't meet what your expectations are based upon the analysis of the chart that you do prior to a client coming. And like many astrologers, I mean, I used to spend hours, I used to spend days, you know, getting ready to do a reading. And, you know, I felt pretty cool when I had it down to a few hours of preparation. And I've, you know, basically like many astrologers, I find that, you know, beyond the maybe 10 minutes of doing the calculations and having some, you know, material in front of me, that when I spend a lot of time 
in pregame analysis, what it does is it bends my not mind to assumptions that often, more often than not, turn out to be untrue. And most of the preparation that I do is wasted time anyhow. And mm-hmm. that it's much better to go into a session with the chart. And again, I'm not saying there shouldn't be any, you know, any preparation or any awareness of what where the planets are or what, you know, some of the major things. But they're major things to explore, not to tell a client, you know, and and I think that that's a really big difference in how I and my students approach a chart. You know, I I teach my 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 students that when you have a chart in front of you for the first time, instead of spending 20 minutes trying to figure out what's the most important thing, when you look at the chart, what stands out? What's the first thing that stands out? And just start talking about that as you're looking at the chart because that will be a way in for a conversation that will lead you in the direction that you need to go. But astrologers need to be active listeners more than active talkers. Okay. I mean, part of what you're talking about is bringing in a a more of a yin type dynamic. Okay. So now you've touched on something that I would like to spend our next cosmic connection on. And that is the inequity of gender bias in astrology going back 2,500 years right until this very moment, because you just exactly nailed it. This is something that I've been absolutely on a soapbox about recently. It was the topic of the keynote talk that I gave at the Canadian Astrology Conference last month, um, and it has to do with this whole agenda rebalancing that we're seeing going on in a massive social, sociological manner. Um, But it's something that we need to confront. And we are to some extent, but, but most of us don't realize why astrology is changing so dramatically. And it's exactly because of the uh, imbalance of the, look, astrology. Now here's, here's the key line that we'll start off the next talk on. Astrology basically was written by guys for guys, period. Well, and what you've illustrated here is that one of the ways in which it's been practiced, even in the one-on-one reading dynamic, is more of a masculine approach. I mean, if you show up and it's like you're telling someone the answers, that's very, it's very It's young. It's it's young. It's, it's, It's Sun, Saturn, Mars rather than moon, Venus, Neptune. Yes. So when you're talking about more listening, more exploration, even the word you're exploring, you're not telling, you're exploring. I mean, all of that is more, and you brought in intuitive, you know, intuitively looking. When you look at the chart, what stands out to you? What, what's humming? I mean, you, you said that so many times on this show. What's singing to you? I mean, that feels really yin to me, too. I, I, I know an astrologer who is very well known. I'm not going to say his name, although what I'm going to say about him, he's said from a lecture pulpit. So it's not a secret. Um, but my intent is not to trash this person. Someone said, so, well, you know, you know, well, don't you, you know, something about asking a client questions or do you when you see a client, do you ask them to fill out a thing and ask why they're seeing you? And he goes, absolutely not. When I have a client, I don't want them to ask any questions. I don't want them to say anything. I I just want them to listen. I know what needs to be said. I know what needs to be done. And um, and and if they try to interrupt me or try to say something, like put them on hold and say, nope, you know, you're, you know, you're, you know, you've hired me. Let me do my job. Yeah. I've definitely had readings like that. And and yeah, and me too. And me too. A weird experience to just. And then, and then you don't even get you don't even get guidance on the thing that you actually needed because the person just assumed that, that, that what they had to tell you was what you needed. And yeah, um, it's, it's like it's it's like having a talk with dad. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sad, Saturn, right? Okay, so Rick, I know we're going to be going into all this in the upcoming class in the chart reading harmonics and the chart reading extravaganza based on harmonics and and speaking of yin. These harmonic aspects are the more intangible, mysterious, behind-the-scenes, energetic. Some of them, some of them are, and yeah. some of them, like the octiles, which are the semi-square sesquisquares, 
They're just putting more nuance on the conjunction squares and oppositions. But the odd numbered, the prime numbers, the the you see, again, there aren't 12 signs up there. And we're trained to use aspects based upon divisions of 12. You divide 12 by one, two, three, four, and six. But we skip over five, seven, eight, nine, 10, and 11. And those divisions hold absolute magic. They hold the soul of the chart. They hold the metaphysical dimensions of the chart. And so, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's a huge um, uh, area for exploration. And I had the luck of when I learned astrology, my first textbooks were Dane Rudjar and his student, Michael Meyer. And I never learned that quintiles were allegedly less important than squares and sextiles. And they're not. I would no sooner do a client consultation without quintiles and septiles and noviles and 11 tiles. I would no sooner do a client consultation without them than I would without Chiron or Mars or trines. That's how important they can be in looking at the chart. And they're not very difficult to learn or to assimilate. They're just new for many people. Okay. So class starts uh, November 14th. 14th. We're open for registration now. You will get a harmonic aspect overview from Rick. It's about an hour long. Is that about how long? It's an hour long class for those people who have taken harmonic work, my harmonic uh, course or other or familiar with harmonics. It'll be like a refresher. For those people who haven't, it'll be like a crash course so that you have some orientation to know what we're doing in the class. But the class is not a class on theory. It's a class on hands-on chart interpretation. Yeah. I mean, and I think that most of the people who watch The Cosmic Connection are at a point where they're, they're practicing. They're, they're doing these things with, if maybe not as professionals necessarily, but with friends, with families, with themselves. And so being able to watch you do it and really like see the nuance. And I love in these, in these extravaganzas how you are not only doing the chart interpretation, but you're explaining to the students why you're saying what you're saying. And we're hearing from the person whether what we're assuming or questioning is resonant or not. And that's right. something that I wish I had when I was learning astrology. The first time I saw an astrologer give a reading to another person was probably 15 years ago. And until then, just no one ever did that. And wow. so, yeah, it's, it's, wow. it's, and we'll be doing, I'll be doing four charts per lesson, per, per Zoom class. And those charts will be picked by me for the amount of resonance that they have in the different harmonic aspects. So they're going to be case studies, hopefully, of someone saying, yeah, that works. And what do you do when someone goes, well, no, that doesn't, like you said, it happens. And how do you move with that? And how do you work with that energy? That's important. Yeah. So Rick will be on the spot live actually doing it. And there's no like pre, you know, uh, conversations that are happening. And the sooner that you register for this class, the more chance you have that your chart will be picked. So and there'll be 16 charts actually over the course that will be that will be used. Yeah. Awesome. And Anne-Marie said I, I signed up for the class today. Fantastic. Okay. Your circle members and Patreon members, make sure that you check for your discount codes in your membership portal for Inner Circle in your email for Patreon members from Rick. And then everyone else, go to astrologyhub.com slash harmonics. Sign up today. See the master at work. I know you don't like to be called that, Rick, but I mean, come on. You you deserve it at this point. And uh, I'm just, just another student. Yes. Well, and in the humility, I love that, you know, 50 years into this practice, what you're advocating for is more humility, you know, more acknowledgement that like we don't have all the answers we don't know we don't need to like sit on this pulpit as the all-knowing astrologer and you ever see that but you ever see the bumper sticker that said hire teenagers while they still know it all <laughs> <laughs> that's great and it does seem like more of a trap that younger or i don't mean younger but newer astrologers fall into yeah and i mean i've gotten to talk to a lot of you guys like hundreds of astrologers throughout my years of doing this and the, the more seasoned ones are the ones saying what you're saying. 
the more seasoned ones are the ones going, you know, and it's probably because you've learned through experience that that if you come in with that all-knowing attitude, it's um, probably going to bite you. So as a just a quick summary to the person who asked this question. Yeah. You, you it. This is going to sound um, like heresy. It doesn't matter what house cusp system you use. It doesn't matter what techniques you use. What matters is that you show up as as a being of experiencing the moment with the person that you're with and that there is no one technique that has all the answers, but there is no one technique, catch this, that has no answers. That any technique is going to be basically usable by someone who has worked with that technique to learn its nuances and how to work with it. I mean, one could observe uh, leaves falling off of a maple tree for years and eventually turn that into a system of divination. It's just a matter of how are we focusing our, our mind. So I would be less concerned that you were using a technique that you've now decided is not your technique of choice. It doesn't mean that technique was wrong. It just means that you've now moved into a place where you're seeing another technique that serves you better. I love that, Rick. Thank you so much. And it's a great summary. Everybody, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all of your amazing comments and the chats. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast, for liking it, for sharing it. All those things really help us keep the show alive and help us have these kinds of conversations with people who need to hear it. So thank you very much for all of that. And thank you for making astrology a part of your life. Check out uh, Rick's harmonics class, astrologyout.com slash harmonics, the chart reading extravaganza version of that. And um, we'll look forward to catching, with, catching up with you on the next episode. Rick, you're awesome. Thank you for sharing with us. See you soon. Thank you, Amanda. You're awesome too. Thank you. All right. Take care, everybody. The entirety of our known universe, from the subatomic microcosmic level to the galactic macrocosmic level, is all built upon the blueprint of sacred geometry. Everything in the cosmos is made up of the sacred geometrical laws that bring reality into existence. You know, traditionally, we astrologers look at these patterns through a 12-fold system based on 12 signs of the zodiac. However, Dividing a cycle by 12 is not the only way that nature works. It's just a very convenient way for us to mathematically divide a circle by two, three, four, or six, which, of course, creates the traditional aspects all astrologers know well. Unfortunately, this patriarchal bias prompts us to miss a lot of the action when we divide a circle by the magical five or the otherworldly division by the number seven, or even the motivational number eight, in order to widen our astrological thinking so, so we can make invisible worlds visible, we're going to look at quintiles, the division by five, septiles, the division by seven, octiles called semi-squares and sesquisquares, that's the division by eight, and even more. Hey all, this is Rick Levine, and I'm excited to be announcing my latest course, Unlocking the Magic of Harmonic Aspects. This, as some of you know, is one of my favorite astrological topics, and I'm quite pleased to be teaching this uh, on the Astrology Hub. Although the course actually includes a one-hour introductory video that's a crash course in harmonic aspects for anyone unfamiliar with them, it's also a refresher for those who have already studied some of these aspects. But the course is not a course on theory. It's a hands-on practical application of harmonic aspects for natal chart interpretation. I'm going to be reading four charts per class in four two-hour live Zoom webinars, meaning that 16 lucky students will be chosen in advance and will be brought on screen to have me analyze to unfold their harmonic aspects, revealing things about charts that maybe these people have never had put into words in an astrological session. 
So I invite you to come along on a mind-expanding ride and take a next step into your astrological studies. More information, details on the curriculum, and registration is available at astrologyhub.com slash harmonics. I'm Rick Levine. See you online. This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life.